This episode is brought to you by Ravenheart Forge. For the best bucklers on the market, bar none. Prove me wrong. You can't, because they're the best. Happy Easter, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Blades for Days, where we're going to be talking about swords and sword fighting and trolls and who would win in a fight between Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. I'm your host, Jordan. Joining me today is university lecturer and the Academy of Steel's own George Jennings. Okay, hey, yeah. How are you? You okay? Yeah, good, man. What about yourself? Yeah, pretty good. It's quite a nice day, isn't it? It's lovely, sunny and... Uh... Yeah, it was really good. Um, yeah. I did some training earlier and Melissa and I went out for uh, some falafel wraps and a dirty oh chai, which oh, cool. dirty chai sounds like a racial slur, but it's, <laughs> it's a very nice beverage. You know? Yeah, yeah that's so, really it's coffee and chai combined, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah no. uh, I like it. I tried it once before. I once advice, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you told me what it was because I didn't actually know. I just know that really? I really did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just go up to the, the counter and I'm like, dirty chai and hope nobody turns around and slaps me, but actually gives me a delicious <laughs> beverage. So, yeah. Um, so what have you been up to recently? Yeah, well, I had a class earlier today. It's quite nice teaching the master's students since the last week before the Easter break. But then we finished at four and it was a nice and sunny day. And then Barbara, my partner, was down by the Cardiff Uni doing some printing. So we, I met her and it's nice and sunny. We, we found it, well, she found a Portuguese cafe in Cathay. So we, we took some food away and sat out in Butte Park. So that was really nice this afternoon. So we had an early dinner sitting outside in the sunshine. Yeah, it's nice that things food. are kind of like opening up a little bit more now. Yeah. Yeah, you can sit down with things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. like you and I yeah. used to go out for a coffee like at least every fortnight, um, yeah. and just talk about martial arts and stuff like that. Yeah. And we haven't been able to do that for like a year, so that's but, yeah. you know, that's that's been rough. But actually, so most of the people I get on are uh, HEMA instructors or martial arts instructors yeah. of some type. So um, you just describe what it is that you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm um, George Jennings and I'm uh, an academic because I'm a lecturer, a senior lecturer in sports sociology at Cardiff Metropolitan University, obviously in Cardiff in Wales. Um, and I'm a martial arts um, practitioner. So my background is in martial arts first. So I started as a teenager and um, I got into sports science. So I studied that as my undergraduate. And I specialised in the sociology of sports and qualitative research. So qualitative research basically interviewing people, observing them, taking part in the field, say of martial arts, uh, looking at the media and all these other things, documents and language. Um, and so that's what I've specialised in over the years, my postgraduate and my PhD. And after that, I've done you know, writing about martial arts for several years now, really. So that's what I, what I do. And yeah, and I'm looking at HEMA. I found HEMA through research, really, because I was interested in looking at a new martial art, type of martial arts that could be local to the context and I was very fortunate to be living near the academy just you know I could walk 15 minutes from where I was living yeah yeah um I remember you joined up because like I, I put up a like a, a tiny flyer on a wall <laughs> covered in yeah. flyers and uh you happen to see it but it's weird isn't it like when you do when you do martial arts or when you do fencing or when you do anything like that your eyes are kind of drawn to that sort of thing 
you know um so whenever i see like a like it could be a tiny picture of somebody doing like you know capoeira or whatever um and i'll be standing in the queue or something or like whatever you know waiting for something i'll just be drawn to that picture um so what what first attracted you to martial arts okay i think um looking back to i've asked this been asked this a while ago from another kind of person who's organizing an interesting um collection for a book uh, we had a, a Zoom chat and he asked me this and I thought, well, maybe it goes back to my childhood with like a lot of things you were exposed to through the media, so through films. And um, I think that my first exposure was the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles or Depends It's Ninja or Hero, depending if it's the cartoon or <laughs> film. Yeah. I'm sure it was one of the first or second films I saw. The first Turtles from like 1990, 19, so I was a bit little. So I was born in 1984, so I must have been four or five. And I'd also seen Batman, which came out a similar time. And that, so I, I was the, the generation like Batman plus Turtles, where you can just cross over of martial arts there. And I was aware, even at that young age, that what martial arts were. So I, I knew that the, when Batman was getting attacked by someone with swords, <laughs> that that guy was doing martial arts. He was some kind of Japanese style. And, and then I knew about the ninja. So I think that was, I was aware of it, but I didn't take it up at that age. I just played around. And, um, and then I guess you get into, I suppose fencing wise, I suppose I liked film hook with them. Um, you know, Dustin Hoffman and everything. Else. So he's, I, yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, so I like yeah. the pirates and I dressed up as Captain Hook in year six. So I had that kind of fantasy <laughs> element, I suppose, of dressing up and, and I got really into Star Wars as well. So there's other things of, of my obsessions over the years. And then in my teenage years, I got into type, martial arts from my friend who, um, he did Taekwondo and Karate. So even when we met, we met at year six, he told me about, say, Bruce Lee and he told me about those things. And I kind of knew, I'd heard of him before somehow. And I had a vision in my head what he might be like. And then a few years later, I asked him after school, oh, is it too late for me to join? So I, I guess from the image of turtles and things, you think they'd be raised <laughs> from a baby to learn martial arts. No, no, adults jump. So I started when I was 14, which isn't old at all, really, because you think actually adults much older start martial arts. And it starts from, from there. Really. So in, in, just um, I felt it'd be quite nice to see. I always saw him after school, we played a sport or video games. And, and then after dinner, he changed his Taekwondo uniform. And, he, and also I would go then to my home and he'd carry on doing training. And I thought it would be quite nice to have something to focus on. And though he was now a, a, a black belt, almost a black belt, so I would start in the junior class. I thought so it seemed like I gave him a focus and give him the discipline. And I guess I didn't have, though I was focused in school, I didn't really have a, a hobby as structured as a martial arts. So it sounded quite a nice thing to do. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I, I, I love that that's for a lot of people, the reason they got into it is that they watch things when they were a kid, like Ninja Turtle. Yeah. Who's your favourite Ninja <laughs> Turtle? I think it's Raphael when I was younger. Oh, Raphael, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. he's a badass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, like, one thing I did, oh, I don't know, because it was lockdown, whatever, I went back and I watched some of those films, like the Ninja Turtle films and the sort of, like, 80s um, Batman, um, you know, with uh, Mike, Michael Keaton. Um, oh, yeah. I, I love the scene where he's fighting the guy with the swords and he's like he clearly can't turn his head because he's wearing that like the Batman head thing and it's like one yeah. single mold and so you see him yeah. blocking with his forearms and it's like these really simple yeah. 90 degree yeah. block and then I think he just kind of shoots the guy I don't know with like a taser or something because um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah he just can't move really uh, in yeah. that suit but yeah I love like I love but a lot of people that I know got into it for that um, 
for that reason. I would like, so, I mean, in terms of historical European martial arts, and like, I'll sort of come back to that, but you, um, you did kind of a deep dive into like South American martial arts, didn't you? Yes, because I, I, I had some years in Mexico, so I moved, um, I was working in Scotland and, was, and then I moved to Mexico for a few years. Um, and I encountered, quite early on, I encountered a, a martial art uh, called Shilam. So I didn't know about this before. It was a really nice, nice chance encounter. So Shilam is a, it was a recently invented martial art. It was developed in the 1980s, 1990s uh, by a woman, actually. It's quite interesting. So it's quite rare. So you think most martial arts have been, well, historical founders are males or men. Whereas here is actually a, a rarity that it's, it's a female living founder as well. So I got to know, meet her. I didn't learn directly from her, but I learned from her, one of her senior students. And it's really like a really good experience to, to learn about a, a culture you come into as a newcomer, as a, as a migrant, immigrant, um, and then not really know much of the language actually. So I learned physically, but <laughs> would help some other students who were bilingual. And then, yeah, so that was a really nice experience and very lucky to be able to do some research. And I, I managed to do um, ethnographic research is when you take part in a group and you represent, you write about them, about what they do, what they say, and how you experience the world with them. And I've, I've written a few things about them, about martial art, basically. Yeah, so there's... No, that's ace. Is, it, is Shilam, yeah. like, is it based on anything? Um... Yes, it's inspired. I mean, philosophically, it's, it's inspired primarily by the Aztec philosophy and culture. Although they were called Mexica, basically. Their real name was Mexica. The Aztec is a kind of later name attributed to them. Um, and then also the Maya and Zapotec cultures, the so three principal cultures um, in Mesoamerica, Mesoamerica is Middle America, I should say, of that pre-Hispanic culture. Um, and they're also inspired by some in, in existing games like the ball game, so they're using the shoulder, the hip, and those kind of things, and directions of movement, the calendar. So they're inspired also the level, the levels of that martial art are through animals, although they also have belts because they correspond to the modern world of martial arts. But they start with the snake, you go to the eagle, the ocelot, which is like a jaguar, and you go on to the deer, monk, you know, monkey, and all these kind of levels. Um, and each of them have give you an idea of developing human beings. It's really like a philosophical movement system designed to develop a human being through the martial arts, you could argue, rather than street fighting or competition. So I quite like that because again, back to my academic background, I am quite philosophical and I do like to learn about cultures. It suited me to learn this martial arts. Um, but I mean, it's controversial in the sense, some people say like the techniques are resem resemble Eastern martial arts and, and there is, are debates about, you know, is this a punch from karate or kung fu? Or, um, the founder, Marcella and her kind of people like her daughter are also involved and, and the instructor say that it doesn't, it's inspired by, for example, pottery, wall paintings and other kind of relics we have or items that they've studied. Um, but even regardless if that's true or not, whatever the other, that controversial debate, that the, it seems that the philosophical worldview does marry up with what other research has been done about the philosophy in recent writings. So yeah, I think it's been inspired. And some of they basically want it to kind of re-educate Mexicans about their heritage, make them proud of, of who that where they come, their first point of their culture, whereas a lot of the Mexican, modern Mexico trying to be a modern country is a westernized, following Americans and vision of what the country should be or and because of colonization. So it's almost like a post-colonial project, basically. Yeah. I mean, you see a lot of that in, you know, why people are drawn to HEMA, you know, because they, 
it's that sort of uh, cultural thing, like, you know, want to feel a link to their culture and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then you also see that kind of that cycle of wanting to modernize, but then after a little while wanting to sort of reassociate yourself with the past. Cause it's like, if you look at the, you know, the modernization of Japan and the fall of the samurai and all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, I say a few years, like I was about to say a few years later, but then by the time of world war, like, you know, world war two, they, they want to sort of um, re-identify with that samurai, you know, that samurai culture, that samurai identity. So I think that's, I think that's something that everybody goes through. They want that link, don't they? Mm, um, yeah. And uh, I, like, because his because Hema kind of encompasses such a large amount of time and a large area, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's kind of hard to nail down a philosophy, you know? Because mm. um, some people, you know, some people look at the, you know, chivalry, for example, and they're like, oh, mm. this is, you know, this is really cool and I like this. But then obviously later on, if, uh, the last person I spoke to, we were talking about pugilism and... Um, that's a kind of relatively recent thing. So chivalry would have been thought of as like old hat. So um, it, it's hard to nail down a philosophy for it in the same way that you would, you know, you'd come across it um, in things like karate or, or kendo or, you know, uh, things like that fairly early on. Um, so no, I love that. I love that. I love that you went to Mexico to do that. I think it's really cool. Um because uh mexico is one of those places i want to visit um yeah. just because of the you know again aztecs i say aztec because i'm ignorant and i don't know any different yeah i think people do it now because like vikings weren't called vikings but it's yeah like yeah that's yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um no that's awesome though uh like yeah. develop because the thing as well is when you see martial arts uh, martial arts develop and like you've got people saying, oh, that's, uh, you know, well, that's just like Eastern martial arts. And it's like, well, yeah, but everything's like everything on a long enough timeline. Like a punch is a punch. Mm. Like, yeah. you know, if you don't, if you come at it at a weird angle, like, you know, I'm yeah. going to throw it, like, you know, I'm going to throw it up above my head, whatever. It's like, well, now it's ineffective. So um, I, I never quite get that argument. And in fact, mm. I was, uh, I was looking at some um, jujitsu, uh, fall like um what, what is it called uh breakfalls break yeah that's yeah. it like breakfall stuff and the way they position their feet is they're break falling and it looks mm. like identical to the first or i think like second of fiore's grappling mm. um uh plays like where his feet are it's clear that he wants to fall on his opponent and the way in which he's doing it is a way that's going to like protect his knees from smashing into the floor and you know, um, and things like that. So it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they would have developed it in a way to protect themselves, I presume. Um, you know, uh, I, I look at sumo wrestling and I'm sure that there's technique involved, but I don't know what it is. I'm looking at it, and like, they're just big. <laughs> um, and they're just smashing into each other. And it looks like, and I know that they're athletes and I know that they train to do it and everything, but if you watch two walruses fighting and they're just kind of like, you know, smashing into one another and it's all bulk. It just looks like that. You know, I, like I said, I'm not to any sumo wrestlers listening. I'm sure there are none, but you know, uh, it's 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 that thing of like I don't know what's going on there other than just mass hitting into one another. You know, 
But um, yeah, I mean, so you got into HEMA and you've been doing that pretty much since we, like maybe a month or two after we opened the Academy, you've been like involved. Yeah, getting very lucky. I think I've been chance encounters again because I, I, my old housemate Lorenzo, living with Italian, uh, he's also a researcher looking at people's boxing, which is like a like almost like a communist, like a, a legal underground movement in Italy where they um, go out into um, the derelict buildings and turn it into a boxing gym for the community. And he did research on that. And he was staying at Cardiff doing some work with my my colleague. And at the end of his stay, we thought we could do maybe we could do something looking at medieval. Like what could we do? after the, his project and we thought of medieval sword fighting or something like that and then he went back to Italy although he got quite busy with his projects so I, I I was in the cafe uh, with Barbara my partner and we were um, and, and I saw it that your one of your flyers in coffee number one on yeah. Albany Road where I used to frequent quite a bit <laughs> and, it, and it said you know do you ever want to do you ever want to learn to wield a sword and I was like oh, that sounds great it's perfect time and I had more time to start the project um, yeah yeah and at the same time i was trying to get back into tai chi and do some research on that because that was a uh, something in the back of my mind to do because it was a nice local again i'm still a member of that group as well so i did a dual study i set myself almost a, a near impossible task of studying two martial arts at the same time <laughs> really <laughs> contrasting and also similar in many ways as well yeah. mechanic focus on mechanics for example it is yeah. tough though because yeah. like I, yeah. I was actually i was talking uh to so I, I think it was um liam uh, yeah. Who's you know one of the members of the academy? I'm not sure if you've met Liam. Have you met Liam? Oh yeah, he's another stuntman, isn't he? He's an MMA yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah, stuntman, actor, model, uh, okay. Renaissance man. You know, and yeah. yeah. No, he listens <laughs> to the podcast. Actually, I just realised, like, he, you know, so this is a shout out. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so we were talking, and we were talking about cross discipline and the fact that it must be hard for you going to tie like you know um because you've done like Wing Chun you've done uh you know yeah. all of these different martial arts and I'm like George yeah. George you're gonna you, your feet you're gonna point your feet and then like you're like oh yeah, yeah okay and then you you know and then you probably go into the other class and you're doing the footwork from HEMA and they're like no no no, no you got to do it this way um because I used to get it all the time like I'm fencing yeah. and I've got like you know uh for good posture and fencing and I've got my chin up and you know hmm. I'm, like I'm extending forward um my feet aren't, you know, they're not in line, but they're probably more so than when, like, you should, you know, than they should be when you're boxing and stuff like that. Mm. And um, so, like, when I do uh, anything else, like boxing, like wrestling or like Krav or whatever, um, I'd find that my posture was all wrong for that because I'm too upright. Mm. And then when I'd go to fencing, I was dropping my chin behind my shoulder to protect it. And I was like, and it took me so long to sort of, get out of that habit and be able to switch between the two so it is like it is there are similarities but it is a challenge it's yeah. uh, it's absolutely a challenge um and uh, i think the biggest challenge for you though is keeping the bloodlust under wraps isn't it because like <laughs> you know <laughs> in class you're like okay taking yeah. notes taking notes about strategy taking notes about this and it's like right we're going to do unit yeah. combat and then you're the absolute wild card. And I've talked to I've talked to loads of people about this. Like I did, I don't want you on my side because you're probably going to kill me. But then I don't want you to be a, like a you know an enemy either because you're probably going to kill me, you <laughs> bloody lunatics. So, yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, think, I think I think maybe it, it's like because you're in uni and you're you know and you're sort of focused and you're being can like you know you're being controlled and then in class and you're, yeah. you know, you're keeping that sort of self discipline and it's like right unit combat and you're like right it's, you know blood, yeah. blood god. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, all the aspects of my life I've got to present your best possible self. Don't you? I'm always in front of lots of people or recording a, a lecture or. And I'll try to be professional as possible. So it might be that. And I think it's also maybe it goes back to that the link at the beginning of the chat about our childhood, inner childhood, is that playing swords. And I think even then I was a bit overzealous of thing, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. And then suddenly you get that chance again to have fun. And it's great. It's so different to everyday life, isn't it? And yeah. And I think, yeah, I use that. And I guess I have um and people say I'm energetic. A lot of people describe me with energy. So I guess I have a lot of energy to carry on doing it and using it. Yeah, I, I think it's great yeah. actually right i don't like don't ever stop because <laughs> you know it's that thing of there's always going to be an x factor you know there's always mm. going to be the the berserkers and there's always going to be the people who are like death or glory and then you know just sort of like <laughs> charge in so yeah i think it's yeah. awesome um yeah. but i you know um that's that's one of the things that i've missed the most actually like with mm. um you know with the lockdown and everything because when we came back to class it's like okay well you know social distancing is still something we mm. need to do so uh long swords pole like you know pole weapons that's all good knife fighting not so much because you got to get quite close and personal yeah. obviously grappling and wrestling and all that sort of stuff mm. got to take that out entirely and also unit combat because you're usually like quite close to people um yeah. you know and, and working as a unit so we can do that and i've missed it so much and now that we're like all getting vaccinated i'm like okay i can't wait for us to do some like formations and unit combat and all that yeah because yeah it's it's yeah. uh it's really good it's um it's it's a good trip but um yeah. so i mean one of the one of the questions that i wanted to ask you because i thought this would be an awesome question to ask you with all of your experience of different martial arts and your study of the you know the social side of it and all this kind of thing is um what does it take for a martial art to survive in the mm. long run because i was um i was listening to the podcast by i i, I forget his name i call him geordie shaw i always forget his name <laughs> paul bowman that's it paul bowman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but I was listening to his podcast and uh, you had somebody there who was talking about Wing Chun and how that survived, but then a lot of its contemporary martial arts kind of died out. And you sort mm. of have the same thing with judo because it's, you know, it's like a, um, mm. uh, you know, that's a combination of different things, isn't it? Um, and then it was like, we'll take what's good yeah. and then we'll leave what doesn't work. And, mm. and, and the tradition sort of falls apart a little bit um there but yeah so in your opinion what does it take for a martial art to survive the long run yeah i think adaptability when you start to, to phrase that question i thought maybe one thing that word that came out back of my head was adaptability i think it's got to adapt so the ones you mentioned there like judo for example adapting to modern times where it, you know it's required maybe to become an olympic sport or to be, to be taken to the west and seen the elements of fair play for example so that's how it helped it globalize it come around the world spread set, disseminate to different corners because it, it fits the other you know all rules and more restrictions but and it's about efficiency and so it, it, it works well the westernized kind of perspective on sport and 
and maybe other things like Tai Chi obviously adapted, but it, it's adapted towards health and well-being, which is a massive thing in today's society and longevity and, and some of the early elements of Taoist philosophy added to it later on have the idea of longevity, long life, continued physical activity, mobility, and that really works with what we're looking for in the world. So it's not necessarily always about fighting efficiency as a total martial art, like you know, you, you can fight armed, unarmed, all ranges. Um, that can be it, but it, I think for martial, it, martial arts can be used for many different purposes, for educational purposes, for rehabilitation, all different things. So I think being able to change the martial art for, to suit what society needs. There are some, some definitions I heard, um, like it's, it's a way of training to fight that is um, acceptable in today's society. I believe that's in, my, my colleague told me it's from a book um, by Farrow and Wayden Bridge, it's like Asian martial arts, not Asian martial arts basically, but they had an interesting definition. So yes, it, it's, these things are acceptable in today's society, whereas um, earlier forms of jujitsu like you seen the, I don't know if you saw that Samurai, the Age of Samurai series on Netflix, you know, things they were getting on with like <laughs> you know, ritual suicide and all the crazy stuff killing people, you know, that's obviously not really acceptable in today's society, but some of the techniques we've taken from what they're doing for well-being, to, to show teamwork, to develop certain values that we are important to us, Yeah, I think. I love the idea yeah. of like, you know, oh, no, we're going to keep ritual suicide in it, actually. The Olympic would be a totally <laughs> yeah. different ballgame. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think, you know, I think that that's, um, I think that's great, actually, because there's like, I know that there are some people who don't like the term martial arts, um, mm. you know, like the, the term martial in particular, they're not like, they don't like it too much because I think maybe they lean into the philosophy side of it a little bit and they, they like the art side of it, mm. um, a bit, and, uh, you know, and I think that's, um, I think that's cool, but like one of the things I feel was maybe lacking, um, for, you know, for the stuff that I did in, um, in my most recent years and, maybe I went down that route a little bit too much was the whole like self-development stuff. Cause it was very much like the stuff that I was focusing on, um, like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Krav Maga and, and like, and, and uh, wrestling. And I mean, like not like WWE smacking somebody about the head with a chair and then taking about five minutes to do an elbow <laughs> drop on them kind of thing, but like you know, wrestling, like actually yeah. uh, wrestling about. Um, and, and like HEMA as well, it, it, there's, you know, there, there are aspects of personal development in it, but I think that that's, that comes with the physical, because when you're doing physical stuff every day, you feel better personally anyway, um, than if you're just kind of like lounging about the place. I mean, I've done both, you know, I've, I've done the lounging. I've, I've had some horrible breakups in the past and um, I've spent like a week on the sofa, not moving, you know? Um, and it makes you, you spiral, don't you? You feel worse. Um, and then when you, you know, when you're, uh, doing stuff, when you're like, when you're actually, um, uh, like doing a martial art or, or like working towards a goal, I think it does help. But even then, like, even if you're just doing that, like the, the, the act of training in itself isn't enough, you know, uh, I think that there, there has to be something on the other side of it something to sort of think about when you're training like why you're training um and, and that sort of stuff um like i asked a lot of my students recently like why you know what's their motivation what makes them train mm. um yes. and uh, a lot of them were you know were really quite good answers um yes. and 
yeah, it's like, I think people come to it for different reasons. Um, and I don't like, the thing is, I, I know I, I wrote an answer for my students or I told them an answer, like my personal answer. I can't remember what it was now. Like, um, <laughs> you know, because uh, I asked you about it as well, didn't I? You know, what, yeah, I think what motivates you for train uh, to train? Um, do you remember what you said? I think it was about like it takes me to um, a different world, or like I think it helped me help me reflect as well. Because I mean, if I you ask me now, I'd say it's a gateway to another world or other worlds in the sense that yeah, mentally, for example, you are more in the moment because in day to day life, you're often thinking of the past or future, and oh, I need to reply to this email, or I should have done this, or I'm reflecting a lot, of, you know. Whereas martial arts, you, you do that, you get hit, you know, often that happens. <laughs> so you, being in the moment, you know, being really present with people and giving respect to the opponent in that sense, you're your partner, training partner, being totally immersed in that connection with them. Uh, but also there's a, a world of, a new world of the subculture, so the, the community you're learning about, and, and a world of language, a new world of seeing and appreciating the body in a different way, or blades, for example, weapons. And there's also a world, a historical world that, you know, you're learning about, medieval times that you you learn a different way in school you might look at documentary but not not in this hands-on way you know you know you, you know seeing it, you know, the vikings whatever on some series but here you're actually holding a weapon learning what it's like so it's introducing to new things and it's about learning i suppose learning about yourself learning about new skills and even if you do the same technique and again and again you're, you're refining things and honing what you have so i think that's what i like about it yeah most yeah yeah no, it is really, it is really rewarding when you look at where you were a year ago compared to where you are now, mm. and you know you're like uh, I was I can't remember who said it, but somebody said you know uh, don't train until you get it right, train until you can't get it wrong or something like that. Oh yeah, okay, um, nice. Yeah, and I like I, I thought that was great because it, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Like you you know you look at yourself a year down the line i mean like if you have been training week in week out uh and i don't necessarily mean you know training every day or whatever but like you know if you if you have actually been doing it can you know consistently and then after uh you know after a certain amount of time you're able to just do something without thinking and it's almost like you know because i've been learning to drive recently that's that's my like lockdown project we messed up ah oh, so i'll tell you this i got off on the tangent here we fucked up the car on the way home i say we i mean i i don't know what i did but um we were uh we were driving back i was giving um uh, chris evans uh one-to-one -one lesson um chris evans also listens to the podcast so shout out to chris evans um <laughs> and um yeah, we were on the motorway and um, like I went to pull out because it was quite a busy junction. Anyway, I went to pull out and the car just made this horrible noise. And I was like, OK, and I moved up to like fourth gear, but then I couldn't move down to first gear when we got to a red light and I just couldn't go. And there are cars behind me, they're beeping and all this sort of stuff. Um, so it was fine. Like neither one of us panicked um you know we, we what i did was i switched the car off and then i realized i was able to get it into first gear and then i managed to get get the car back uh to the front of the house so you know somebody can come out and take a look at it because i don't know anything about about cars uh chris evans because i told him about this he turned to me and he goes oh has it got has it got uh, a hydraulic clutch and i looked at him and i nodded and i went got rubber mats in the foot well i know that much 
that's all I know. That's all I know about cars. That's, you know, um, but uh, yeah. So, but the point I was going to make is about driving is like when you, when you're first doing the clutch and the gear stick and, you know, and sort of like trying to pull off and then changing gears and, oh yeah, shit, I need to indicate and all this sort of stuff. It's that when you start doing something, because it's like, it's really, you know, it's easy when you first, you know, okay, I'm going to throw a jab, right? And then, okay, I'm going to throw a cross. But then it's like, okay, but I need to make sure that I'm exhaling and I need to make sure that like, you know, I'm not, uh, that I'm, I'm pulling my hip forward. I'm, I'm recruiting my hips to do that, you know, to do that cross kind of thing. And it's like, oh, I didn't do that. Or I was holding my breath. And then after a while you start just doing it without thinking about it. And that's really great. It, that, that's quite rewarding. Um, and I suppose that's the whole thing that Bruce Lee was talking about, you know, the, the stages of mastery where it's like, you know, you learn it, you master it, you forget it. I forget what the other two stages are, but it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. somewhere. I don't know they're in there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that thing of like, don't, don't forget it, like completely forget it. It's like, it becomes a, a, just a part of the way you move and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think that's great. But um yeah, so, all right, adaptability for a martial art to be able to survive. What about in the modern world? Is there something that it needs to do nowadays in order to continue? I think, well, to attract people, back to your... So I did look at some of the responses on the Facebook group, and they're very interesting. So I think they could be summarised, not to put a strict definition, but there's an element of reality and there's an element of fantasy or imagination. So the reality might represent the martial that, you know, here and now nitty-gritty of what works and what's been passed down that works and what we believe in and then the fancy bit might be there people into lord of the rings game of thrones and so i think it's got like most martial arts still have that element of that so particularly the group we have and like, i want to be we do it to become a stuntman or to which again links to fan, people's fantasies people's imaginations people's dreams of a series or dreams of a film you know to be able to jump off a horse or whatever it is and you have people who are doing it for the love you know all their reenactment interests and, and so i think there's an element of that it doesn't always have to be about pure reality purely um you know pragmatism but it may be in some other martial arts who really want to learn to, to survive in a street fight there are some people but i think and that will probably continue and i think there's a diversity and it is okay to be diverse in the martial arts because that's it will attract a range of people so we know that we used to share a hall with uh, ludo sports on lightsaber combat that may attract a different demographic to um, you know, maybe um, a May club or even a Hema as well. And, yeah, so the, the pe different people will find them, their martial art for them. And in today's society, things like Ludosport wouldn't have been a label, you know, 100 years ago, or maybe in medieval times, they wouldn't have been seen. It's not tested. It's just a fantasy. It's too much fantasy, not enough reality. But now we are enabled, able to do the fantasy things because our society is a lot safer, in, in theory, at least. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, we know there's a lot of things going on, but generally it's perceived as safer yeah so that's probably another thing yeah man I, that's like that's a really good point because um i mean obviously until recently martial arts would have been something that you would have learned only for self-defense i guess you know or i mean maybe not like only for self-defense it would have been that whole you know the philosophical side of it or the the personal um, you know the personal development side of it that we've talked about because that's you know that was a big big part of it you have that idea of the you know the monk on the mountain and he's like this perfect being because he's you know he's, he's got the balance and all this sort of stuff um 
but like yeah to do martial arts just as a, a pastime now um that would have been something that I'm, I'm guessing would only be since um it you know eastern martial arts became popularized in in like modern culture and that sort of stuff um i hadn't thought of it like that because you have a lot of things like um you know like larp like um the the ludo sport stuff which i know like i know i've chuckled about the ludo sport stuff um in the past the the thing for me about ludo sport is purely the price like the cost of the the equipment um i think i told you didn't i like one of their lightsabers one of the lightsabers that they were using cost as much as my custom made heron war sword um okay. and i'm like you know yeah so i was like oh no that's really expensive for you know yeah. a, a metal tube maybe bring the like whoever invented ludo sport must wake up laughing i know i've said that before but like the amount of money that that gets sort of sunk into it but that's the thing people have that money to burn now expendable income is a good point because now we think about um lifestyle choices and people have looked at hema some people started to write about it by linking to lifestyle sports um for example there's a group of the unesco who have open access documents and one document's looking at hema as a big study they did a survey of surveying what type of HEMA, and I think they said the average HEMA in, um, practitioner is like the late 30s, they are male, they don't have children, so they have like, you know, expendable income, this is an average in Europe, so, like, yeah, no, so no, you no. know, they probably don't have children to worry about their salaries, so their salary goes on them, or maybe their partner, but they have a lot more money for their hobbies, and they have more time on their hands for the hobbies, and, and this is showing some changes in our society as well, like not, not, everyone's following the standard narrative of getting married have two kids or three kids have a dog and that kind of stuff and they say no my weekends are for reenactment my weekends are for this and, and this enables you to explore those identities that you may have shelved in your youth or or they weren't available to you um so helena's interview is quite interesting when she mentioned that the lord you know they, you can actually do this as adults and and it and paul bowman who the, the martial arts scholar and his podcast he but he mentioned in one seminar I went to, he said that martial arts, it surprised me a little bit when he said it, but now looking back at it, maybe it's true. He said that martial arts people, people often look at people who are adults who do martial arts as those who haven't grown up. And I was like, okay, that's a bit harsh, Paul. He's quite critical sometimes. But thinking about it, maybe we are a little bit like um, more into our like cult things like this, Hong Kong <laughs> Kung Fu films and the things that films probably aren't that high quality, but we'd like this kind of an alternative imaginary world. But yeah. 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 yeah I, think so. I think that's great though because like yeah. um I, as you were describing the average humorist you know like late 30s no kids like all this sort of <laughs> stuff I was like oh okay yeah that's me well I'm not late it's years <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm like I do I wouldn't say that I have a massive expendable income but what I do have I generally spend it on swords so. <laughs> yeah. even when I should yeah. we have more choice about our lives than we did before because we don't have such a religious society that expects you to have say follow with church on Sundays and we have more flexibility and we had more mobility for COVID but there's also more we move around a lot more now and create our own networks and our own almost our own fa surrogate family through martial arts that you know you spend a lot of time with your you especially you know as a instructor you've got like a massive network of people don't you you've got your podcast you've got regular contacts every day with people that miss the group and this is yeah. what's enabled us to do yeah, yeah. 
And that's great. Like, you know, and that, you know, that ties into, you know, when we talk about personal development, we, you know, when we're talking about that as like the individual, but for a lot of people, um, you know, uh, I was chatting to um, a friend of mine recently and uh, I was, I was kind of, we were, we were joking about how I didn't like their other friends, um, you know, and uh I said, well, I don't like your other friends because they're just, they're really, you know, they're squares. They're a bunch of grubs. And, um, you know, uh, and she turned to me and she said, no, the reason you don't like my other friends is because you're crotchety and awkward. And I was like, I was like, yeah, you know what? Um, that's, that's not untrue. I am quite awkward. And um, I, I, I know I've talked about this in the podcast before, uh, but it's one of my favorite stories. It's uh, Sam Aykroyd, who you know, you know, Big Sam from the academy yeah yeah say, right so i love sam and i think he's really quite funny and witty and all this sort of stuff but he's also quite shy i think um and there was the, the first time i went to fight camp uh back in oh god 2018 i guess now it would be um yeah i went to to fight camp which is like one of the biggest events in um in in britain and i set up my tent it was the first time i'd been to fight camp I think it was the first time he'd been to fight camp as well and he'd given me a lift there and he said i'm going to go up and and you know talk to people and socialize and i went cool i'm going to call my wife so he goes off i call my wife about 20 minutes later i'm like okay i'm going to go now you know love you whatever um hung up he comes back and i'm like what happened and he went well i went up there i looked around uh you know i saw people i nodded to myself and just went yep, these are people, I just left. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I, I, like I thought that he he was more um, like socially skilled than that. But then I'm like, everybody here is probably just as socially awkward as the next person. But because we all have this one link, we, we can like talk to each other. It brings the people together who are very different and um... And back to the art elements, also there's longevity in the martial arts. So I say rugby, uh, I mean, it's for a certain amount of years in your life, but the, obviously the injuries accumulate or you have to retire. And um, so I like that about martial arts as well, that you can pursue it for many decades and then modify it. Again, that adaptability, but you can still practice. You are a practitioner rather than necessarily an athlete and a competitor, unless you maybe you do a more Olympic version of a martial arts. So, you know, moving, you know, you could do HEMA and fencing or Wing Chun or Tai Chi and, most of them, what we say in martial arts could be practice for it till they say the day you die, but you know, <laughs> till old age. And it's a nice dream to, to do that, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, I like that's another thing I like about them. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Because you see those like Tai Chi instructors and they're like a thousand years old in the park. Yeah. It's could be it's a nice model to follow. You think it's not all about uh, you know going downhill. It's like some, you know, you, there are ways you can refine your martial arts and develop the sort of inner aspects of it that and also that philosophical aspect and the historical, you always develop more knowledge about martial arts and you can become a better teacher as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, Cause that's the thing, like I, you know, I've come across, um, you know, I've come across some fencers and some martial artists who are like in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and they're still going hell for leather, you know, they're still going for it. Um, there was a guy in my crab, uh, in my crab class, actually, I think he was like 70. Uh, and you know he's just you know he's he's still going for it and crab is quite it's obviously a lot heavier uh handed than um than tai chi and i've done tai chi as well and actually um tai chi is one of those things that i kind of keep going back to in the whole you know slow is smooth smooth is fast thing because 
I think a lot of people, a lot of people think because you do Tai Chi slowly that you would use Tai Chi to fight slowly. And it's like, no, yeah. they're just going slow because they want to kind of perfect the movement. Um, yeah. and I mean, obviously there's a lot there that I wouldn't, you, you know, if I was in a street fight, I wouldn't use like crane or, you know, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the like really quite, uh, you know, obscure, uh, stances. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I understand why it's there and it, like, you know, the, the transmission of data through, uh, through going through the, you know, through the stances and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, you know, when you get somebody who comes in and it's like, uh, do you ever see Star Wars Kid, the YouTube video where it's just this guy with a staff and he's going ballistic? Okay, I'll send you a link. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, he's got a staff and he's just, it's its really, really old video now. But he's like flying about the place with his staff. He looks naff. I, I think he falls over at one point. Um, he's going really fast. You know, that's the one thing he's got going for him, but there's nothing there. And, and um I think that's what I like about Tai Chi and why I bring that into my fencing sometimes. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm doing something wrong. I need to slow it down. Like just slow it right down uh, to like 10% speed and then speed it up again so that you can kind of like build up to it. Um, hmm. And I like, I think there's a lot of value in that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of value in like the, the older martial arts, as long as you don't get too fixated on like one aspect of it. Um, hmm. And I know that, because I know that Tai Chi is like getting a bit of a like, and, and a lot of Western martial, uh, sorry, a lot of Eastern martial arts are kind of getting a bit of a bad name now because of, uh, you, you know, you got uh, a lot of like Tai Chi masters or uh, Wing Chun masters. I th I'm, I'm going to say Wing Chun. I'm not sure if it is Wing Chun. I know that like there's a lot of kind of made up martial arts from the East that like. Um, MMA fighters have gone up against and just absolutely demolished and so there's kind of this mm. like the shift in in um you know perception of mm. like the the you know the the sort of uh yeah the eastern martial arts stuff um do you think uh do you think that that's going to be like a problem for eastern martial arts going forward into the future i think not not as much as we might perceive it to be because MMA will attract the people who are good fighters who want to become a good fighters, who are great athletes or want to become a good athletes, and so you, you, it requires fitness. It usually requires attract younger male or women, men and women who enjoy fighting or are happy to, to hit, get hit, like boxing, really. So it will attract a large demographic and could make a living out of it and have a career as competitors. But there always will be people who are interested in the lesser, softer contact. Um, who are happy to learn forms or are patient enough to learn hold a stance and hold these postures or aren't really looking for the fight they're looking for maybe some kind of mind body exercise transformation and even now looking at tai chi is maybe in recent paper with a colleague from china looking at is it a form of re-education so it's like re-educating the body from tension and from the mind body the kind of stress the cognitive stress we have emotional hold and through certain loosening exercises how the body can be retrained so maybe Tai Chi can be perceived in that. And Wing Chun, even people think potentially it's been re-understood, reconstructed as a, an internal martial art like Tai Chi is a way of retraining how we move and how we stand. So it's not necessarily all the techniques are, you know, I'm going to do a bong sao, I'm going to do a tan sao. not all going to be like, <laughs> like robots, but it's a way of just working with body through concepts, which could be applied um, in other martial arts as well. So that's another way of looking at it. So I still, I still I think that 
they again they've adapted or been reinterpreted again. So Wing Chun is being reinterpreted as an internal martial art, which lots of people are now interested in. They say there's something missing in the other Wing Chun where it's quite mechanical and a bit stiff. And there's another way of looking understanding the Wing Chun. And then Tai Chi has been diversified from like there's very much of the hippie kind of new age stuff. And there's also the people not looking at even the Eastern perspective, they're looking at it more scientifically. So it's diversifying for its adaptation. So I don't think they will die out because my Tai Chi group's always, the school I'm researching has a big following. They have a podcast as well, their main teacher in Portugal. He's got people following him all the time trying to travel in. So I think, but it does attract a certain demographic. And as our society diversifies, we're bringing up different people, different interests in say Eastern religion, spirituality, um, and maybe other perspectives on diets, maybe veganism, all these kind of things that plant-based diets, environmentalism, they may be attracted to those types of martial arts. I'm not saying they wouldn't be attracted to MMA either, because I have eight vegan MMA fighters, we know. But I think as society is diversifying, multicultural, more open-minded, I think they will be open-minded to those perspectives of martial arts. So, yeah, I don't think they will die out because they're adapting for those people. Yeah. No, I think that's good. Yeah. Obviously, it's that, you know, it's tradition, isn't it? And uh, it, mm. it would be a shame uh, if anything kind of like, you know, if they did die out, because then, you know, the chances are you'd see like uh, Hema, but like in the East. So it'd be like historical Eastern martial arts, like, in a, you yeah. know, 150 years. They're like, well, we want to revive these and get them completely yeah. wrong, probably. But, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it's so one of the things that made me laugh was uh, I was watching, I don't know if it was season one or season two of um, Cobra Kai. Mm -hmm. And uh, like uh, Danny Russo turns around and he, he like he puts up an advertisement for his school and it's him yeah. wearing the, the gi, um, uh -huh. you know, and he's wearing the, the black bands, you know, the, the sort of like classic um, iconic yeah. imagery from uh the yeah. 80s and um uh and he gets accused of cultural appropriation um <laughs> and that sort of thing and i'm like oh yeah that that probably wasn't like something you need to worry about in the 80s and now it's like yeah. if you you know if you wear a gi uh somebody's gonna have a go at you. like i was yeah. um i was saying to melissa recently i love the you know the mandarin style collars on, uh, yeah. like, I was like, I love those. I love Mandarin shirts and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, but if I wear one, am I going to get somebody like, you know, um, yeah. some like woke lord scurrying out of the woodwork telling me, hang on a minute, you can't <laughs> bloody, uh, you know, you can't, <laughs> can't wear that. That's, uh, that's not for you. And I'm like, I, I, I like them though. I think they're cool. Because um, yeah. I was watching, um, I was watching a series you need to see if you haven't seen it. It's called The Warrior. Um, okay. it's, it, it was uh, by Cinemax um, it was written originally by Bruce Lee um, oh, yeah, yeah. so I don't know if you're aware of it it's like um, yeah uh, yeah it, it, about the like about I think it's San Francisco during like the 18 late 1800s and the mm. the Chinese and Irish immigrants there yeah. um, and uh, the 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 fighting in it is oh, top notch. So where you've got like Eastern versus Western martial arts, uh, and again Eastern and I mean like Eastern philosophy, but it's like it's it's kind of there. But they're also gangsters, um, <laughs> yeah. and then you know, and then uh, Western, um, you know, Western 
kind of like if you squint they're american but they were all born in ireland kind of like like their okay. ideology um so yeah that's that's really interesting and super graphic um so yeah. like it, it's you know it, it's that whole factions thing you know so cobra kai mm. versus um uh miyagi-do um mm. it, it's that kind of thing you've got the like the chinese and they're always in fighting and they're fighting the irish as well so um i think you'd enjoy it i would be shocked yeah. if you didn't enjoy it oh yeah um, i think my friend george told me because he's um, my wing chun training partner we haven't seen each other for a while because of the pandemic and stuff but he um i think he told me about it before the ill happened and I had, I had read the Bruce Lee, had written this series, it never came to be. He couldn't quite get the funding, all these kind of politics of Hollywood. And so it's nice that they've made it in the end. And yeah. I had to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah. It's um it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm kind of glad they didn't make it uh during Bruce uh, Bruce Lee's time, only because now they've got the budget now they've got the interest now they've got not that they like you know not that they didn't necessarily have the interest but like i i think just the sets and mm. you know because of things like censorship as well like they wouldn't have been mm. able to make it nearly as um as as bloody as it is and i mean that's yeah. not everything like it doesn't have like i don't like um gory films for the sake of gory films but yeah. um it, it's the same thing as like uh banshee if you've ever seen banshee it's like you know um if 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 death is possible then the stakes are a lot higher you know in like yeah. uh cobra kai it's like well you're probably going to get like a kid beaten up and stuffed into a locker or something and i think the legacy back to the legacy of bruce lee as well is taking anything linked to him and You've been big fans and waiting decades for anything like footage to be released or anything his works to be you now created. That that would probably make it very successful. I think maybe like I said, maybe he's before if it, it was made before those big those big films he made at the end of his life, it would it might have been a flop. But now it's associated with we I know mean, everyone is a household name, Bruce Lee. So then anything linked to him would be for show interest. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if but, that's like another thing that makes a martial art survive as well, when you get these kind of like iconic characters. Mm. Because, yeah. you know, before, like you've got Bruce Lee, you've got Jackie Chan, you've got Jet Li, mm. and they're like our modern kind of legends, I suppose. Because yeah. whenever you look at a martial art, there's usually a sort of like, uh, you know, a progenitor, this legendary character that mm. kind of created them. And we have that in Hema as well. Like you've got. Um, you've got Fury, you've got uh, Johannes Lichtenhauer, who uh, is, is almost like more mysterious than any of the others because we don't really know anything about him. It's just that everybody refers to this guy being like the big cheese of German martial arts. Um, so, yeah, I wonder if that's like another thing that makes martial arts, that, that gives them an extra kind of spice, you know? Yeah, it's like the mystique, isn't it? Back to the, the fantasy elements, it's like, this heroic kind of we, we want this kind of the hero in our society in any society really, these heroic figures who overcome it. and the more mysterious they are the more interesting it can be and we know little about them which makes them you know, their exploits have been you know exact possibly exaggerated but it also makes that you as a human immortal think i could connect indirectly to this amazing person who like beats 10 people or <laughs> survive all these battles like Musashi, you know featured 30 opponents in a row and all these things is like it's incredible that and we've got their manuscript, we can translate it to English and we can understand this, even though your centuries away and language away from what they possibly originally intended. 
Um, you know, so there's ideas, but there's some something's been translated through you through the body or through. And that's exciting about martial arts, I think, and uh, it probably makes it a little bit. It can be maybe sports are like this as well, but you maybe you don't think, oh, I, I'm playing the, the sport of Pele or Maradona or you know, it, you know. But here, because we're a smaller number of people, there's a more direct line to those people through lineage or through um, transmission of knowledge through text. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, and and that's it. And I mean, there, like, and again, there is that kind of like. I mean, you know, when you have a face to a martial art, that that's. I think it's both a good thing and a bad thing because you you know you do get the whole well my you know my master could beat your master kind of thing like i i loved um you know enter the dragon and all that sort of stuff and uh there's there's kind of like um you know it, it's that thing that we've uh, you know you and i talked about in the past like what you know what would have happened if bruce lee had like because he died at 31 was it 32 yeah so yeah that's it, you know like what if he'd you know if he'd survived would it would it be like um would he still have the same mystique you know mm, um yeah that's a good point, Jordan. I think because you, I think because he died young, it's really young. He's got physic, the physicality, the the image, the physique, and all this. He, and he at his peak, really, and, and that makes him incredible. Don't, but he did, you didn't see him age. You didn't see him, you know, maybe make more mistakes in his life and do silly things. I think he was already going from what his biographers have found. He did have some mental health issues and paranoia and addiction, and as we know, so maybe he carried on that route and carried on living. It, probably even worse unfortunately so i think we, yeah they say the james dean effect is a bit the mystique of dying young and i think either the founder had like died so so supposedly really old say or you die young before their time and it's like this fascination makes it more fascinating yeah i think so yeah, yeah. and i mean like because that's the thing like jackie chan's amazing you know he's mm -hmm. like some of the stuff that he's done is like I couldn't do it, you know what I mean? Like it, it, where he's jumping from building to building and then he's like, ah, oh, I broke my ankle, it's fine. I'll finish this film and carry on fighting everybody and yeah. rumble in the Bronx and all this yeah. sort of stuff. And then, but he hasn't quite reached the same status as Bruce Lee. Mm. And maybe it's because like Bruce Lee came in, um, you know, Bruce Lee came in and and it was bringing that kind of like that Eastern stuff that nobody knew about and, you know, the philosophy and all that sort of stuff. And then Jackie Chan came in and he's just like, it, you know, good. And maybe like, I don't know, like maybe a comparative martial artist in terms of like, because I know he went to stunt school before he did martial yeah. arts um, and, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's just that thing of like, um, I guess it's like the, the the ties as well to the Ip Man, um, mm. you know, and uh, and that kind of stuff because he's also reached legendary status. Like if you watch mm. um, if you watch Ip Man films with Donnie Yen in it, and he's kind of yeah. floating from stool to stool and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. And my colleague David Brown's written about um, charisma. I've done a bit with him, but maybe it's his work. And the charismatic affect. So he talks about how he emotionally affects people. So watching Bruce Lee and for his body, he might, it might be because Bruce Lee's a bit more relatable than Jackie Chan to some degree because we, 
well, none of us are trained apart from Lloyd and, <laughs> and the others then in the um, sense of being stuntmen. So we, you know, as a, as a person who's like not the big Bruce Lee in his size and frame, you know, it's quite inspiring what he could do with this his physique and what he did with his lat, you know, his his shape, his V like shape and um, and his flexibility and things he trained himself. And you read his story, you think, okay, he was quite frail when he was young, but apparently quite ill. And then through martial arts training, he was very strong, Biran, able to run, you know, he got endurance, all the elements of great athletes. And he develops fighting skills that are pragmatic. And so you got, and he's able to perform and, and demonstrate these skills and then be able to teach them. And he set up a, his own system. And he also had a philosophy. So I think that made Bruce Lee very interesting. He was a founder of his own system in school, but he's also very intellectual in the sense he read deeply into fencing, actually, a lot of fencing books and boxing manuals. I think most of his books were earmarked, dogmarked, and with lots of different um, um, footnotes and things were actually fencing. So he's very much inspired by Western fencing. Um, and he had his own unique approach. I think it makes him different to Jackie Chan, who was a product of the Peking Opera School in Hong Kong. And, you know, stuntmen like Simon Hung and Yung Yao and his brothers in the Institute. And they went on to do great films. But maybe he didn't add anything to, not being rude to Jackie Chan, but maybe he didn't add anything to the martial arts as a martial arts. To the cinema world, cinematic world, yes. And I love Drunk, Drunken Masters, one of my favourite films. Oh, cool. <laughs> okay. I love it, I love it. Yeah. Um, I Disney added to that genre. But in terms of it being a, as a martial artist in the more reality martial art, not the fantasy maybe he contributed less particularly intellect intellectually in terms of like what he left behind for future generations whereas Bruce Lee's writings now being edited and trans you know to the public so we can see you think of Dao Jeet Kune Do here actually <laughs> so Dao Jeet Kune Do, you have his works and you, you can be inspired by his words and his writings and I think that for me that was influential as a youngster growing up because Bruce Lee helped me get into Wing Chun and make that decision and go get into physical training as well and from that the path I'm in today. I think you're right. I love Jackie Chan. Um, I, you know, and if I, I, I like, there's something about a Jackie Chan movie that I, I really enjoy. But you're right; it doesn't necessarily make me. Yeah, it does. It, it's not necessarily as thought provoking, I suppose. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but like, uh, one of the questions that um, I, I've asked a couple of people is um, plain boxing ring you know or like just a rugby field or whatever who do you think would win in a fight between bruce lee and jackie chan they're both in their peak they're both at their peak who do you think would win i think bruce would win because he focused more on the fighting I, um, and he was they trained for that i think um yeah what do you reckon well no i absolutely agree but let me change yeah. the question to yeah. bruce lee versus jackie chan but this time they're in a construction yard I think Jack, yeah, Jackie Chan, he would use all the, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bruce, he had to have a stunt. We know that he had to use stuntmen for many of his moves. So he didn't have the ability to do somersaults and flips and um, yeah. those kind of things. So I think he, he would be disadvantaged. And um, yeah, he wouldn't do so well uh, <laughs> in different environments. I think yeah. the water as well, he was afraid of swimming pools and he never could swim. And there's so a lot of things he had disadvantage of and the heat as well. I think he had. Um, Heat exhaustion is a certain circuit, and it's one of the reasons he may have died. Some people believe. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. So even with being near a hot light bulb and stuff, and I think he fainted once and having a hot drink. I don't know. There's some, some stories from people who witnessed him feeling ill, and oh, they wow. probably, yeah, yeah. So he was a bit fragile in that sense. I mean, one on one in the combat situation normally seemed to be very well, but 
Yeah, and I think Jack is more robust in the sense of certain environments and being yeah. with and practice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think um, uh, I I think that's that's something that you see a lot in the kind of like the you know the progenitors as well because I I don't know if it was judo um, the you know the guy who came up with judo was quite frail and ill as a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, you know, I say he came up with, you know what I mean? Like he, he took things and he adapted it and he, yeah. you know, he created judo, but, um, yeah, you know, he was quite ill as a kid and frail and wanted to learn to defend himself mm. against, you know, bullies or whatever. And you see that parallel with, with Bruce yeah. Lee and, um, it's, part of me wonders how much of it is exaggerated, I guess, because, it's like, you know, like George Washington, like George Washington, pretty average commander, really, um, mm. in, in the scale of like, you know, if you if you stacked him up against somebody like Napoleon or mm. Alexander the Great or whatever, he's really very average. Um, but then what's happened is like over time, um, other people's uh, you know other people's legends have kind of been mixed with his or um, he's been credited with having done something that was actually like a subordinate or something and slowly but surely what's happened is like he's become you know he's yeah. become larger than life uh, and so there's part of me that wonders like how much of it is like like a slight exaggeration that over time will become uh, you know, um, well, as a young age, Bruce Lee was abandoned in the forest and he was raised by a wolf who, you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. like who, who milked him, or not milked him, who fed him milk, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, and then, yeah, and then gradually it, it just it just turns into this, you know, into this thing. So, like, um, also, and I, like, again, as you said earlier, no offense to, to um, Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan, if you're listening, definitely no offense. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah, big <laughs> yeah exactly. Because yeah, I know he definitely listens. Um, but uh, like, and I want him to continue living a very, very long life. But he is still alive. Like, so that's that's kind of the thing mm -hmm. is that Bruce Lee died, and with that. Um, as you yeah. say, there's the like the stuff's going to get built on on what he's done, yeah. um, and uh, there's always going to be like rumors of lost footage and all that sort of stuff. Whereas Jackie yeah. Chan's still alive, so if there is any lost footage, you could just ask him, and he go, "Nah, yeah. the Snyder cut. I don't want to, you know, the the Jackie Chan cut kind of thing. It's not, it's not a thing. Don't, you know, don't worry about it." But then, like, maybe, and again, like, I do not want any harm to fall to befall Jackie Chan because I love the guy. But when eventually um, he he does pass, like in a hundred years, it might be the same thing that um, you you're reading you're reading this stuff, and it's like as a young boy, Jackie Chan was very frail, so he went and learned you know stunt coordination and this mm. kind of stuff, and then gradually um, stuff gets. Uh, kind of blown out of proportion I guess because I was uh I asked uh, I had Matt Easton on at one point and I've also had like Keith Farrell and they're quite big names in HEMA uh, mm. but HEMA is quite small by comparison to you know a lot of the martial arts that have been around for generations and that are like a global thing I mean HEMA is now yeah. kind of becoming a global thing and yeah. There, there have been very rare occasions on which somebody asks me, like, oh, so, you know, what do you do? And I'll go, I teach HEMA. And they're like, 
oh cool okay i know what that is and you're like oh okay i was expecting to have to you know um have a long-winded conversation there but um like that's sort of happening but um you know like i was saying like do do you foresee there being any sort of like hema legends um in the in the future that become like you know that become the kind of like benchmark of uh um of, of what it is to be a, a you know a historical european martial artist and they were like nah <laughs> pretty yeah. nah, not really because uh youtube's a thing now and everything you say and all of this sort of stuff is recorded yeah. so um i think so i think bruce lee's like yeah back to the year of the 60s 70s where things weren't so recorded a lot of things underground and you know closed door fights and like the hong kong like the wing chun and kung fu fights at the rooftops and some are recorded, but very few recorded. It was all like, yes, you know, who won, who was undefeated. And, and it's kind of unproved. It's hard, you can't really prove it. It's more word of mouth culture, an oral culture, that there's an agreement that someone won. Yeah. Um, that makes it interesting for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, no, I, th- I think I think that's it. Like, I think nowadays, because everybody's got their, like, camera phones at the ready, um, mm. like, as soon as something happens, uh like they i don't I sound like a really old man when i say this but there was a time where like if you saw a fire like a raging fire or you saw uh people in a fight on the street you'd call the police but now you're like oh i gotta get this on tiktok you know yeah um, <laughs> yeah it's like uh yeah somebody's life might be at stake but that's fine i'm gonna go viral oh incidentally i set up a tiktok account for the academy there are a lot of trolls there are a lot of very angry people out there on the internet right now i'm, I'm too old you know <laughs> like i'm too old to keep up with it a lot of the time yeah it's interesting the trolling things are a fascinating thing to to look into research wise i mean like youtube and all these other platforms where they're streaming and, and the way people debate and talk about that and even people setting up their own channels to create critique other martial arts like the other mcdojo's or setting up like you know this is a fake school this is a fake martial art this is this has happened with the mexican martial arts as well like there's um, there's, new, there's several other mexican martial arts being created in the 1990s and the 21st century yeah and there's some videos now setting up like oh god another mexican martial art there's one guy who's quite, quite sarcastic and he does it well he does analyze them well but he does it in a way that's a bit a bit hard maybe a bit harsh i think um, yeah but is yeah watch some of his videos yeah yeah but is he but, a martial artist he is. I don't know what he does, but he's got. Um, he was in the gym with lots of bags, and he does seem to know about even Chinese martial arts. Like the dummy, and he's able to talk about different Chinese martial arts. Use the dummy, and because there's one martial art called uh, Punyo Scientifico, so like scientific fist. And is it? Is it? It looks very much like Bruce Lee. The way he's got takes of the founder, like a kick, but like Bruce Lee did when he shattered the light bulb in a way of the dragon, and and do other things. And the dummy. And he said, okay, this guy's got good physique, he's got good fast hands, but if you look at the Wing Chun, he does, it's quite bad Wing Chun, he says this. Um, it's quite, yeah, it looks a bit slappy, like rapid like hands, but maybe too quick and not focused. And then he, he claims, I think in one of the videos I've invented this, uh, at least what I've seen from the video, that the, the young man who's created this martial arts said, um, I created this equipment. And, and this guy's, no, my friend, you have not created this. And he put whatever, he showed the cooking images of all the dummies that this is used in Wing Chun, Hungar, Trolley for. So he did, in a way, sometimes it is good, but maybe the way they go about it, it's sarcastic, but that gets more viewers. Lots of people make, you're so funny, man, you're great, I love your videos. And, and they'll spend lots of time having a weekly entertainment from this guy who mocks these other people. So, yeah. 
I mean, like the yeah. the thing with YouTube is that a lot of the time, you know, you like I've I've had like trolls on YouTube and all that sort of stuff, and it's like normally. Um, I, I think before lockdown, I just kind of ignored it. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, whatever. Um, because I've got, like, I'm, I'm busy. I've got, other, I've got stuff to be getting on with. But um, during lockdown, because I've, you know, I've been bored. So, like, there's a part of me that's kind of, like, um, begun craving the, uh, the, the conflict. So, um, you know, I get these people. Uh, I, I, got, I got one. Um, uh, I got one the other day. And it was like, oh, this is really like, this is really stupid. It's a simple, you know, it's such a simple thing to, to get out of. And he starts giving me his Mr. Wizard formula of how he would beat me. And I'm like, yeah, this is, I'm like, first of all, this is a demo. Like we're not free sparring, hence the lack of equipment. Um, yeah. Like, and, and second of all, like, you know, have you, have you ever actually done any like fencing or anything? Um, Cause it doesn't sound like you have. And um he just comes back and I'm just saying this is a really, you know, this is a really simple thing to counter. And I'm like, yeah, but a, like a jab and a cross is a really simple thing to counter. But you get in the ring with Tyson Fury and then watch your theories like, you know, yeah. <laughs> fall apart. Um, so, yeah, it's it's I think it's really interesting. And, and, and you studying what you're studying, it would be I think it'd be really interesting if you like set up a TikTok account. Right. I'm not saying necessarily <laughs> do this, but try it, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Like yeah. set up a TikTok account. Put a few things of you fighting up there. Uh yeah. you'll have to put it on to the most annoying um, you know, like you, you gotta put like an annoying soundtrack in the background and you gotta put like <laughs> effects in it and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that that's what TikTok's all about. Yeah. But do that and then see what kind of um just see what kind of feckless cretins come crawling out of the woodwork because you'll you'll be shocked people who i i i'm like have you have you even ever left your house before um and they're they're you know they're telling you how to do your like you know how to do your job how to teach your class how to how to fight and all that sort of stuff and it's like um that's kind of like so you know that's the i suppose the the negative side of globalization of martial arts um yeah yeah and and like you know before when you had things like enter the dragon um people go to the cinema they'd watch it they'd go home and yeah you'd probably get people grumbling to their wives like i could i could beat up bruce lee yeah whatever right but now they've been given a voice in the internet like you know it links to a lot wider things like the trolling on football like the racism and sex a lot of comments they wouldn't say face to face to the person but they feel that behind the screen this anonymous funny nickname they created this persona they created they can say what they think of you and, and your yeah. martial arts and, and lack of respect really because they think of martial arts usually most of them and the value that's really important to them is respect respect for your teacher respect for your opponent respect for the art respect for, and also generally respect for other arts and the community and but then what they do on there is it's like, this is rubbish, this martial art doesn't work, this person's rubbish. They and is this with worst language, obviously, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's yeah. sad. I no, I, I, I agree. I think, like, it, you know, and that's it. And definitely the instructors that I've had in the past who are very, you know, they're, they're very um, kind of, uh strict on the whole respect thing and i agree like i think you know 
I like I agree um, with respect to the martial arts, to the thing that you're doing, and to, you know to the practice and all this sort of stuff. But as you know, um, like I, as soon as I leave the class, as soon as I cross the threshold to go home, um, and I hang out with my students, whatever. Like I, you know, I dick around more than anybody else. So like, when I get these trolls telling me like, ah, this is how you do this, it it doesn't like that. I, I, you know, I'm quite lucky. It doesn't hurt me personally. I think I maybe take it a little bit more personally when it's directed at like Melissa or uh, mm -hmm. one of my students. Yeah. You know, they they start like if they start mouthing off about about that, then yeah, maybe I start taking it a bit a bit more personally then, but. Again, I think that that is just lockdown. I think, you know, they'll, they'll come a point where I do exactly the same thing that I've always done when I'm too busy to, you know, I'll just read this, you know, this response from uh, somebody who's just like, no, that's the, that's not how you hold a sword. This is how you hold a sword kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, cool. But I got, you know, I've got actual fencing to do. So I'm, I'm not going to respond, you know? The sad thing about it is that you're going to get people who won't, kind of they won't want to put themselves out there um you know I, like i don't you know i don't mind genuine critique uh from things like if i if i had somebody from another another school turns around and says oh maybe try this it's uh you know it's like more effective or more expedient whatever um that's fine but i i tend to find that they don't comment on your stuff because they're too busy doing their own thing again or yeah. maybe again it's like a respect thing i'm not sure um i don't i don't know what it's like in other martial arts schools like in, in like another you know in other um fields so like if you put up a video or you know if your wing chun uh instructor or your tai chi instructor put a video up on uh you know on youtube or or uh instagram or whatever and you know how likely it would be that a, a, another tai chi practitioner or instructor or you know another um, Wing Chun instructor would like comment on that video. I don't know how likely it would be, you know? Yeah, I think often not so much instructors, they're often students who've got confident, overly confident quite early. Like it's kind of like this a bit of blue belt syndrome, isn't it? And they, you know, whatever you want to call that the equivalent, they've done it for a year or so or two years. I think they're pretty good now. Yeah. They can go to any channel. This is this is not how you do it. I, I when I actually did a bit of teaching when I was doing my PhD and I, I set up a branch school for my instructor and then where I was studying and I had a video to try and promote the group and then there was one guy randomly I'd never heard of him he's like oh you need to loosen up and learn the second you know because I was using I think maybe I was doing things more a long distance so I wasn't closing in and he's saying oh you need to learn this also I know the second form where you learn more footwork and you'll, you'll loosen up or you'll do yourself a mischief he told me and I still remember those words to this day <laughs> and I was like okay and I I think I responded one thing. He never got. I was a bit annoyed, and I think a week later I was still talking about it. And when my classmates said, like, "You still on about that, George?" So it is annoying, and it's sort of very political. Then my teacher, I think, wanted to centralise only one Facebook group, and so I delete. I had to delete. He called me up again. I wanted to delete this. I was like, so of course, there's pressure for everyone in the whole organisation because they kind of don't want you to do your own thing unless it's officially their permission. And then if you, I was trying to promote the school in my own way, but. And then you get these, these random people who've probably done it for six months or something and they think they can tell you what to do. Um, so it's, I've had that myself a little bit and is, I know how it feels. Yeah. So you make an effort to train with someone you respect and you have a good relationship and we're doing all things well, I think, and you get, yeah. 
Yeah. No, I like I, you know, I, I've talked about this a little bit. I, t- I talked about it when when Matt Easton was on, and he said he said, "Oh, you stop caring after a while." And then he said, yeah. and then he sort of like went back on himself. He was like, "Well, I'm not stop caring." Um, yeah. But I know exactly what he means because the first time I put up a, a, a YouTube video, it was crap. It was just basically me hitting a pell in the rain, and I was probably doing a bad job of it because mm. I was very aware that I was going to put it up on YouTube. I'd never put anything up on YouTube. I was about to set up the academy. Um, I, like, you know, I was, it, and when you put something like that up and you get somebody coming back going, "I'll oh, loosen up," you give yourself a mischief. I don't know yeah. about you. I was like, "Fight me." fight me fight me yeah. come here and fight me you know don't like don't give me any of your shit don't like i'll meet you somewhere and we'll fight and like and we'll and we'll see who's uh you know and we'll see what's what but again like after after a while you're just like oh whatever man like if, if you you know if you're busy commenting on this then yeah you know like what are we doing here you just kind of like yeah. you, you just kind of put it behind you um and you get like a, you become a little bit more zen about it um because i remember at one point like i think i think i met up with ben um who doesn't listen to the podcast um yeah i know despite boo boo ben Ben halbert boo um no i like i remember um uh meeting up with ben for coffee um uh, a big shout out to Ben actually because he, he does actually put these podcasts up on the website for me so um, I should probably not you know I should probably not give him too much shit but um, uh, yeah um, I remember we met up for coffee and I was like ranting about some like trolls that I, I'd uh, come across on, on online and uh, I don't remember why it was like something they said got under my skin and um, I don't like I don't even remember what it was really now but I remember thinking like, oh, why is this bothering me? I was kind of past all this. And then I came back to it. I think maybe it's because, as you said, you, you become used to an environment where, you know, you're looking, you meet your opponent eye to eye. And so there's that level of respect, you know, there's that level of like courtesy and all this sort of stuff. And I've like, other than the banter, um, you know, I have good bants with uh, with some of my students, and you know yourself, and you know, uh, and and all this sort of stuff. And that's like that, but that's different. It's done, you know, it's done respectfully, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, I, and um, like I, you know, so I was like so used to that that when I got somebody just shooting their mouth off, there was that that like I said that instinct came like came flying back of like fight me fight me don't 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 mouth off just fight me you know um yeah. which you can do in person it's great like if somebody comes up to you and starts like criticizing your fencing at like you know an event or whatever you just go okay well let's fight and you know you can show me the error of my ways and if they do like mess you up if they do tune you up whatever then like then you're like oh okay yeah you've got a point um but if they if they're like oh no you know i was just giving you some like this or that it's like yeah okay but like show me because because otherwise why you uh why are you talking the talk and nine times out of ten they won't like they won't say it to you unless they can back it up you know um so yeah i hate the internet i love it you know obviously because it it means things like this can happen and that's great but i also hate the internet because it uh, I think you should like have a license to use it, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, anyone can access and anyone is like without any training or any um, 
education really about like the almost like the highway code of the internet how to be respectful well, yeah. like yeah like the, the driving you know you've got to respect the driver you let the person through in the roundabout but here it's like, i'm just gonna say what i, what I yeah. want <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah what would you like you know if you had to in in summary if you had to summarize it i know we sort of touched upon this a little bit earlier but how would you how would you define a martial artist what what would your definition of martial artist be a martial artist the, the person okay so as a martial artist, you might think of um, the word artist, like martial arts, I think is the primary word. And martial just happens to be the adjective. So I've been thinking about this recently for a conference presentation I gave. I couldn't, in, couldn't go to Ukraine because of the <laughs> distancing of their regulations, but I, I pre-recorded that. And I, I said that a martial art, so go back to the artist in a bit, is there some, is a system of you know, development and it's about longevity as well. So you think about painting or ceramics poetry it's an activity you should be able to pursue all your life to cultivate yourself and maybe others around you and cultivate certain values and dispositions their excellences we say from a philosophical perspective so the artist hopefully is someone who's cultivated certain values that maybe respect and dignity and all these things and skill and mind body dispositions control and emotional regulation etc all these things that are developed through this practice and how just so happens that this the mechanism or vehicle they use is the, the martial, which has certain techniques and practices, methods combined with strategies and etc. philosophies, all this kind of system in place to train them as warriors or fighters or um, combat sport athletes, etc. But generally there's an element of the, the artistry is they're, they're developing themselves and creating their own, also their own stamp on it, like an art. So the other side is that, okay, as, as artists, they should be able to do something with the martial art for the next generation. And that's why martial arts are always changing because they are the practitioners, so the, the long-term ones, really can be classified as artists because they are developing this new style of, say, Tai Chi or, or Hema, or they're, they're questioning that, the, you know, after many years of respecting the teacher and following what they got, they've actually, I don't quite agree with this. I, I might take into some grappling, I might do this. Like you're doing, you know, Krav Maga and BJJ and, so you, what you're doing as an artist, you're bringing your knowledge together and being creative with in the circumstances that we're under, and you're going to pursue that all your life. And that's what an artist would do. Okay, we haven't got the paints available to do this, so I'll do something else with the colours, and I'll see what I can do to express myself and my culture. And it also expresses the culture of the time, of course. What's culturally acceptable at the time? What was considered art at the time? I love that. Yeah, that's ace. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Um, that's a really good uh, uh, way of thinking about it. I like it. I think that's great. Absolutely. Um, dude, this has been really fun. Um, where can people find you online? Okay. So um, you could, if you Google, say, George Jennings and martial arts, um, you can find things. For example, the one way to read, if you're interested in reading some of my work, the academic work, <laughs> include. Um, <laughs> book chapters and, and articles and um, presentations I, I put things on um, academia.edu which is like an open access site a bit like a Facebook it's like a social media for academics so you can share your work and follow each other uh, and ResearchGate which is another one um, more scientific but it, where I put a lot of PDFs that were, are legally you know accessible that are allowed to be re reproduced so those two ways are probably a good way to read my work um, and in the Cardiff Met website you can find the list of my publications and research interests and um that's about it really i don't really use much social media i use twitter more these days so 
a little bit, but you probably see all I do is retweet and like things. I, I never really tweet. So I, I see this as academics. So they get really addicted to Twitter and um, it can be a bit narcissistic. So I try to avoid using it too much unless I've got something to say. The big yeah. thing. So yeah, so those I probably go for those two approaches to look at my work and then you can get in touch with me in some an email as well. And the more than welcome. I use my email at most all the day really. So it's, it's probably the best way to get hold of me. GB gbjennings at cardiffmets.ac.uk if you're interested in my research and getting to know more I'm nice to meet new people through through this podcast so thanks Jordan for the kind invite that's all right man it was good fun if you'd like to find out more about historical European martial arts visit www.academyofsteel.com or if you have a question you can shoot it over to us at info at academyofsteel.com follow us on YouTube Instagram Facebook Twitter and TikTok, which is a nightmare. Don't be a troll on TikTok.